you're joining with us for the first time this morning, we're in the midst of this series on 1 Peter where we've been thinking about what it means to be aliens or strangers on this earth, different, looking different on behalf of Jesus Christ. And we've come up with that title, not because it's ours, but because Peter begins his letter speaking to these exiles, these temporary residents, uh, this, this early church called to share uh, the truth and grace and love of Jesus Christ with a world uh, that was very different than them. And so we're going to look at verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19 today. Chapter 4, 12 to 19. Let's listen now to God's word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's think about those words together this morning. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. I wonder how many of us in this room have walked through a trial that we would say was so difficult, so hot, that we would use the word fire to describe the season of our life. Makes me think of last week, um, Brian invited me to go on a run after work. And I know full well, Brian is much more, um, how shall we say, in shape than I am. He goes to the gym every day diligently all the way through winter. He's told me stories about how he sprinted up these trails like Middle Cottonwood and Saddle Peak. But I thought, eh, I'm a glutton for punishment, so I'm in. So we began in this, this, this jog, shall we say, and we're about two miles into what was a six-mile run up this mountain, and I'm huffing and puffing. I'm gasping, begging for air behind him. And I kid you not, he looks like he's on an afternoon stroll, casual hike. And that's when the words of this, uh, this scripture came to mind, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Should have seen that coming. In fact, Brian, my quads still burn a little bit. But that's not what, what Peter's getting at this morning, right? You know that. What do you suppose he meant by those words, fiery trial? And here's another question for us. What do you think it was about that trial that was so surprising to God's people? The Greek word here is porosis for fire. Porosis, it literally means ignition. It means smelting, um, burning. But again, you don't really need a, a lesson in Greek to understand the point, right? We use idioms like this all the time. This is not an unfamiliar phrase to us. He's been through the inferno. That was a hot mess. They put her through the crucible. See, I would venture, venture to guess that we all know what it's like to walk through a fiery trial, right? We know what a furnace is. 
But again, Peter's not just talking about any kind of fire here. Look again with me at verse 12. He's specifically talking about the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ. God's word tells us when you put your trust in Jesus, you should live now with an expectation that trials on this side of eternity are coming to you. You know, there's almost like an admonishment here to this early church, right? Peter says, do not be surprised, which infers that someone was shocked they were caught flat-footed. See, and I think there's this problem that every Christian faces at some point in their walk of faith, and, and that is, how does this God that I love allow suffering and pain in my life, and where did it come from? What could he possibly be doing and ordaining this, this fire to burn in my path. In fact, one commentator explained, this is one of the main hangups for those of the Jewish faith. They cannot comprehend it, how a good God would allow his son to, to suffer on behalf of humanity, right? What good could come from God allowing his divine son tormented? See, and yet Peter says, when you follow Christ, you should be prepared because it's in following him that we actually join him in his sufferings. AD 400, there's a famous story about a monk named Telemachus, and Telemachus was a street preacher. He went all around Rome calling on this pagan culture to respond to the gospel, and Telemachus was so fervent in his faith, he actually snuck into the gladiatorial games in order to witness to the crowd. You might remember the gladiatorial games, that was like the, the heart of human corruption, right? This is where men fought to the death, bloodlust, murder, all to the cheers of the crowd as though it was a football game. The story goes, Telemachus, he jumps the arena wall, he walks in between these two gladiators and he begins preaching the gospel to the masses and shuts the party down. You can guess what happens next. The crowd was so furious and they wanted to see someone die so they picked up stones and began hurling them at this man, killing him in an instant. And as the officials dragged him out, the crowd went wild again. You know, and had you have watched that reel, right, you, you probably would have asked, like, what good could possibly come from that kind of evil? What, what would God, why would God allow such a senseless death of this innocent man? 50 years later, the games eventually ceased, and many in history attribute that change to men like Telemachus, who spoke their conscience to a godless culture. You know, as I think about trials in my faith, whatever trial or fire that I've walked through in this life, I'd have to say it pales, right? Would you? We don't hold a candle to a, a martyr like that. But whatever the trial, Peter says, we should have planned for it. We should have expected it. If we're following the teaching of Christ, right, we're gonna look different. And if you stand out, if you look different, you're going to get picked on and called out. It's interesting, two weeks ago, we learned how this same Peter told the same church that the chances of persecution against them were slim. You might remember this. Look at this in chapter three. He told the church, he said, you just need to focus on doing good and you'll be fine. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing what's right? And yet now this same Peter is telling this exact same church, when the trial does come, you should have anticipated it. But he doesn't stop there. Look at how he doubles down. Look at this in verse 13. He says, and you should rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. You should rejoice in it. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Jesus, you are blessed. 
Let's just stop and consider that, right? This is a different kind of thought. This is actually quite bold. Not only should you expect the trial, but when it comes, you should rejoice in it. How do we rejoice in sufferings? How do you rejoice in pain, in, in the hot fire? Do not be surprised, Peter says, as though something strange were happening to you. This was the plan. You know, that Greek word for strange is the same root word that we get from xenophobia, right? Fear of the stranger or the other. It seems to me what Peter wants to convey to this church is that even in your suffering, this is not something odd that's happened to you, that, like, that it's come on by accident, but that if you are a light shining in the darkness, you can expect people are going to see you. And in seeing that light, really, we're gonna draw one of two responses in our reflection. People are either going to join us in that light or those in the shadows will want that light to go away very quickly. See, and here lies the, the challenging word, I think, and that is to, to, to follow Jesus is certainly the most joyful and fulfilling thing you can do in this life, and yet to follow him to follow quite literally means taking the path less traveled. To take up your cross, as Jesus said. You think about a, a less traveled path, right? A, a less traveled trail is full of sticks and brush and down trees. The wide path is the easy one. For you and I, it would be so much easier, so much more simple to join in the ways of the world and to just live and let live and blend in but to take the path less traveled, we all know that's a path that would be much easier to avoid altogether. It's not easy to say no to sinful things. It's not easy to stand out in our convictions. It's not easy to be that person in the room. See, but here's how we can rejoice in that. I want you to see how consistent God's word is in this. Look at what God is doing in this struggle. Look at this in James 1. He says, count it all joy, my brother. There's that rejoice. When you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its fullest effect that you may be perfect and complete. Psalm 66, 10 says this, for you, O God, have tested us. You've refined us like silver. See, here's why we can rejoice in the fire, right? Even on your worst day, just consider your hottest fire. Even on your worst day, God is still up to something good. I love the analogy that one scholar gave for this. In the ancient world, a silversmith would heat up his silver ore in a, a clay crucible, right, heated by this raging fire. And as the ore began to purify, its impurities would ride to its, its surface and be skimmed off to be purged. The silversmith would let it cool and then the whole process would repeat. He would heat it up and skim off all the imperfections and then let it cool down again. And here's the part that would preach. In that fire, in that cauldron, the silversmith knew his work was finished when his face finally reflected off the silver in the surface. Then the product was complete. Isaiah 48.10 says this, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver, I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. What if, what if in the hottest fires in your path, what if your deepest wounds, your most difficult trials was actually God refining you in his redemption? You know, for those in Christ, the more that you study God's word, the more you realize 
how intentional God's purpose is even in our pain. For those who put their trust in him, even when you can't see it, even in your deepest longings, your greatest sufferings, he's told us he's working all of that for good. Again, look at the consistency of scripture. Look at this, Paul's words in Romans 5. He says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, as I think about Father's Day, I think one of the mistakes that we often make as dads is we want to shield our kids from any pain or suffering in this life, right? You know, we know we live in a world full of pitfalls, and I feel like even in my own parenting, I think, man, if I can just maneuver this right, I can keep my kids from harm's way, from experiencing any fiery trials, which on the one hand is perfectly instinctual, right? Like, we, this is what we do. No, no dad ever relaxes around a campfire as long as his six-year-old is hanging out, right? And the marshmallows turn into flaming arrows. But I feel like we've taken it to this extreme where we, we want to shield our kids in bubble wrap. And we forget that this sin and brokenness thing that we so desperately want to shield them from is actually already within them. And with the fall of Adam and Eve, you can't shield your child from their own hardness of heart. And the world is so pervasively broken, you also know it's only a matter of time before they're going to experience these, these trials, especially if they put their faith in Christ. So here's a Father's Day thought. What if rather than block for our kids, what if we learn to coach again? You know, in college, I worked for the Academic Advising Center, and you wouldn't believe how many angry parents would call irate because of a poor grade that their child received from their professor. We'd remind the parent that your child is now 21 years old, which makes them an adult, which means I can't talk about this with you, and their heads would explode. With the best of intentions, right, mom and dad are still trying to push the childless life away from their children, and yet at the same time, what if God had a plan and a purpose in that trial? See, don't hear me, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying that we just open the gates and have running of the bulls. But the point is, in, in a fallen world, especially when you are God's prized possession, and there is an enemy prowling like a lion, trials will come. In a world where, 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 where evil reigns and where we are called to, to be the light of Jesus, you can expect the fiery ordeal to come your way. But here's the point. When the trial comes, it seems to me we need a new lens by which to see it. I think we forget that even in the hard things, God wants to do something redemptive and restorative and good for us. What Peter says, rather than looking at the fire as a calamity, we should rejoice because it's often in the fire that we realize who we really are. See, the reality is when you face a trial, if you'd stop and listen, if we would be more in tune with what God is doing in the moment, we would find maybe that those are the seasons where God does his best work. I think about the words of Joseph, the, even when he says, uh, even what you meant for evil, God used for good. See, but now suddenly, uh, notice this if you have your Bibles open, Peter wants to qualify this, right? He says, if a fiery trial uh, for Jesus comes upon you, then that is praiseworthy. But now he says, you also need to understand that suffering for your own sin is something entirely different. Look again, verse 15. He says, but none of you, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. 
You know, at the time, to be called Christian was seen by the culture as an insult, right? It was a derogatory slur. Little Christ's. Peter says, if you suffer under that name, if you suffer the name of Jesus, you are blessed. In that suffering, you, you now see that God has changed your life in such a way that others are taking notice, right? But if you suffer, he says, in your own sin, what good is that to your witness? I love the logic of this sentence. You'll notice he starts first with murder as the first example, and most of us go, well, I haven't murdered, so that doesn't have to do with me. And then he says, and let not you suffer because of your thievery. And we think, well, it's been a while since I've stolen something, so that's probably not me. But then he gets to this, this net that gets cast so wide, we all have to think, right? He says, and also, don't suffer on behalf of your own evil doing or your meddling. Let me get specific and maybe even a bit controversial. I think what Peter's saying here is, if you get fired from your job for humbly standing firm in your convictions, that's to God's glory. And if you have family members who malign you, but you remain rooted in love, that's a praiseworthy fire. But if someone hates you because of your hateful rhetoric on some Facebook post, or if you suffer because you were quick to speak and slow to listen, and what came of your, out of your mouth was anger and fear, Peter says, that's on you. I read earlier this week of a man in Oregon, best of intentions, I'm sure, who Spray painted, Jesus loves you all over the city, public and private property. See, and Peter would say, that one doesn't count. That, that trial is on you. But to face a trial, a fiery trial on behalf of your faith, that's to God's glory. You think about it, the most incredible example we have of this is Jesus, who's hanging on a cross, right? And you, you talk about a fiery trial, I mean, you can imagine him burning in his lungs, and with the last breath that he had, he was begging for the forgiveness of his own tormentors. See, it seems to me if we're gonna watch over our witness in, in our fiery trials, we should ask, we should ask the question, um, how much of this trial is a result of the gospel and how much of this trial is a result of my own sin? Well, but most of the time it's not as black and white as we want it to be. And here's why this is important. I'm in that crucible, God wants to do something both for his glory and for your sanctification as a believer in Christ. So Peter lifts the veil to now show us what God's doing in the midst of that. Look at this in verse 17. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Here's where we have to pay really close attention you know, because you wouldn't typically walk up to a believer in their suffering and put your hand on their shoulder and say, well, Lloyd, here's what's going on. Um, God's judgment is being poured out on you. This is God's judgment come to your house. You had this coming. Look at this right here, 1 Peter 4, it says so. But that's not exactly what Peter means here, right? Again, in the Greek, the word he uses for judgment, it doesn't mean condemnation like we would think. It means purification, a chastening, a refinement. Go back to the image of the silversmith. He says, when you face fiery trials, here's why you can rejoice. For the Christian, the testing of your fire and your faith is not there to condemn you or destroy you. God put it there to refine you, to strengthen you. And the hard truth, I think, for us is this. We will all face God's judgment. There is no way around that. We will all give an account for our time here on this earth. The Bible stresses this time and time again. 
And it proves too time and time again that the judgment will begin with the household of God. So for those who have been covered by the righteousness of Christ, how much more would I rather face a trial now than God's judgment later? Hebrews 12, 6 says this, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I'll ask you again, what is the hottest fire that you've walked through? And have you ever processed what God might be doing in that fire? Maybe it's even right now. <clears throat> you know, when I look back, uh, some of the most difficult trials in my life were the most bleak, the hottest fires were through the pandemic. I think for all of us, we could probably tell our own story of conflicts, of relational trials with loved ones, health issues, and that the church was the, the crosshairs of that, right? Everything that was going on in the, in the culture around us aimed right at the church. We all walked through a hot fire together. But as I look back uh, at those moments, I was probably quite private in my own life about it, but I went through health issues. I lost my cousin, my grandpa, and the closest mentor in my faith all within the six-month span. I, uh, I found myself in conflict, as many of you did, with people whom I loved. We, we, we watched God moving and winnowing out his church. And in that trial, in that struggle, in that hot fire, I also have to admit to you, I had an awakening of faith that I had never had before. Not seminary, not years of, of ministry. It was that struggle, that trial, that brought me to my knees, chastened me, awakened me, sanctified me in Jesus' name. You know, it's a humbling thing to walk through a season and not know the outcome. It is a purifying thing to have to repent of your own sin and to trust in God's plan. It is a sanctifying process to to face conflict as you stand in your convictions firm. And please hear me, if you're struggling right now to see God at work in your own trials, whatever they might be, I don't want to belittle or, or reduce that. I certainly don't want to be flippant or trite. But what I want to say is that no matter what the fire is, for the one who puts their faith in Christ, we have this promise by God's word over and over and over again that even when you can't see it or understand it or comprehend it, God is still doing a good work in you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice and be glad for soon you will see his glory revealed. And so our charge this week is really obvious. Peter makes it very clear. He says in verse 19, therefore, therefore let all those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to their faithful creator while doing good as a witness of his glory. Let's ask God to help us do that this week. Will you pray with me? God, none of us uh, are wired to walk through the fire. It is not natural in us to want to step into trials and ordeals of this life on behalf of our faith. 
And God, we confess there's many times where we would just rather capitulate, where we really deep down there are times where we just would rather blend in, blow the candle out and just kind of meander through the shadows with the crowd, Lord, and yet you have called us to be a city on a hill. You have called us the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So God, whatever trials that we've been through and whatever trials come our way, we, we pray, would you help us rather than to look at the calamity ahead, would you fix our eyes back on you? Lord, would you help us to ask the question, not so much why me, but Lord, that we would ask, God, what are you doing and what would you want to do through me right now? God, would you give us the humility and the courage and the strength to wholeheartedly chase after you, God, and to rejoice. Not that it would be a front or a, a, Lord, a fake smile that we would put on our face, but that you would truly give us a joy that surpasses all understanding, that we would rejoice even when the hot trials come our way. Lord, may we not be surprised, but may you prepare our hearts to always follow hard after you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.